Thank you for listening to our Truth in Life podcast. This season, we will survey the Bible's unfolding story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Christ and edifies His church. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing? Yeah, good. Yeah, thank you. Um, it's good to have you. One of our two weeks of being, <clears throat> excuse me, combined in here. We'll be teaching this week and then next week as well, and then back to our, our regular Truth in Life classes. And so I'm excited. We're going to be looking at the book of Haggai today. I uh, hope you grabbed a handout on your way in. We're going to follow this. Uh, this is just for you to have and sort of follow along. Hopefully we'll follow it. But notice at the bottom, it's application, it's blank. Now, am I just lazy and didn't think of anything and didn't put it in there? Partly, yeah. But, but there's a reason. No, I have some applications. Why would I leave that blank? Any guesses? You can write. Yeah, it's not actually, I ran out of room. You know, we're supposed to keep it on one page. But I, I'm not going to do your work for you, okay? You have to apply this. We're going to talk through the book of Haggai. I want you thinking as we go and write down application, all right? And at the end, I'm going to call on you to share what you wrote down. So it's <laughs> some of you are gasping, looking for a pen. It's also because in a big Sunday school like this, it's, you know, I've been in there. It's easy to think you're not seen or heard, but I see all of you. You know, Samantha, I see you. Uh, you know, Reese, even the back wall, you know, the shadows don't hide you. So I want to hear from you at the end. We're going to work on application together. So as we go, write things down that you think about, and uh, we'll share with the group. <clears throat> Let me pray, and we'll get started. Father, Lord, I pray you bless our time today looking at the book of Haggai. Thank you for this great man, this great prophet, Father, that you sent to the Jews May we learn from him. May his message convict and inspire us to live for you. We pray in your name. Amen. Also, open your Bible. I don't have screen. I'm not going to put the scripture up. We don't have a great way to do it. The TV is just impossible to see. So open your Bibles. Open your phones. Follow along. Haggai is two chapters. Okay, we could probably just read the whole thing right now. But two chapters, so follow along. We're going to look and walk through the whole narrative of the book of Haggai, and it's good to look at it as we go. Just a bit of historical context, if you're not aware. Um, this is written <clears throat> to the Jews. Haggai is sent to the Jews, and this is after the Babylonian exile. So you remember God had, had allowed for Nebuchadnezzar to rise up and, and to go and, and destroy Jerusalem take the people away, destroy the city, destroy the temple. And so for 70 years, the Jews were living in exile in Babylon. The Persian Empire rises up and removes the Babylonian Empire, overthrows it. And so the Persian Empire is now ruling. And in the second year, we're told in the, in the first verse of Haggai, in the second year of Darius the king is when the message of Haggai takes place. And so this is right around... Well, this is 520 B.C., one of the interesting things with Haggai is we know the dates and 
There's five different messages that we're going to walk through, and we know the times and the days that Haggai gives them. Um, Haggai, the author, likely born in Babylonian captivity, and so he's returning here as well for the first time. Um, You'll remember Zerubbabel, who is in our, we'll find in the book today, uh, he is the prince, the governor, who is sent by Darius back to Jerusalem, as well as Joshua, the priest. And Zerubbabel and Joshua come 18 years prior to the message of Haggai. So it's 18 years following the Jews' return that they've been here. And that was the first wave, which was about 50,000 Jews. Um, By the way, I, I didn't realize this preparing for this. So, you know, you have the return, you have other characters, right? Ezra, uh, Nehemiah. One of the things I didn't realize until preparing for this, there's about a hundred year span between the Jews' first coming and, and Nehemiah and his work. And so, you know, we tend to read that account of the Jews coming back and rebuilding and sort of cram it all together, but it was a hundred years. You know, imagine what takes place over the hundred years. And so anyways, Haggai is about 18 years after they return. Um, and we'll start by looking at now the content of, of oh, not Habakkuk, Haggai. It says Habakkuk on your outline. Anyways, Haggai. So the first message we find in verses 1 through 11, and I'm just going to read this because it's short and it's helpful. The second year of Darius, the king On the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehazadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time is not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, and there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put in the purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains, bring wood, and rebuild the temple, that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much, but behold, it comes to little. When you bring it home, I blow away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house which lies desolate, while each of you runs to his own house. Therefore, because of the sky, because of you, the sky has withheld its dew and the earth has withheld its produce. I called for a drought on the land, on the mountains, on the grain, on the new wine, on the oil, on what the ground produces, on men, on cattle, and on all the labor of your hands. Okay. This is called rebuke. God is rebuking the people. They've come back. God has allowed their bondage to be, the chains to be broken of their bondage in the Babylon, Babylon. And they come back, and what do they do? They get to work, right? On what? Well, their homes. They begin, and for seeming 18 years, they work on their homes. And so God rebukes them. God says through the prophet 
Haggai, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies desolate? The people of Israel were to come and rebuild the temple. They were to come and put their work and their efforts there, and they didn't do it. And so God deals with them by cursing them. Now, what's interesting about the curse? Consider your waves. You've sown much. You harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink. Okay, so he, they still have the things, right? Food, water, wine, house. But what's the curse? And this is, this is the worst. <laughs> if you, when you think about it, this is the worst curse of all. What's the curse? They're not, yeah, it's for, they're not satisfied in whatever they do. And you think about that. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> to live never being satisfied. There's nothing you can do, right, except cry to God. But if you're not satisfied, you can't go out. You can't get more things. You can't change an environment. So what a, what a terrible curse. And even to have the things still, to still have good things, and yet not even the good things will profit them anything. And so God doesn't allow them to be satisfied. <clears throat> and they should have known that. God also brings drought. He says in verse 11, I called for drought on the land, the mountains, the grain, the new wine, the oil, on men. <laughs> you wonder, what does that mean, drought on men? Okay, so this is the first message that Haggai brings. Now, how do the people respond? The second message found in verses 12 through 14. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their, sorry, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people showed reverence for the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke by the commission of the Lord to the people, saying, I am with you. Okay, so how do the people respond? Well, <laughs> repentance, change. The people fear God. They respond with reverence, right? Reverence, fear, and they obey him. Now, this message comes about three weeks, this next message after the first one, and so there's a change in the hearts of the people. And so God, in response to their humility and repentance, says in verse 13, which is a beautiful, beautiful statement, he tells Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, say to the people, I am with you. What a, what a quick turn by God. <laughs> Rebuke the people's repentance, I'm with you. I'm with you. What a great promise we have there. Moving on, the third message found in, in starting in um, chapter 2. Well, actually, let me finish reading. For, so in 14, so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shetiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of Darius the king. Okay, so notice what's a part of their repentance. Work. 
You know, this isn't, oh, we've sinned and we feel bad, God. They go to work. Third message, comfort and hope. Starting in chapter 2, it reads, On the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shatil, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, saying, Who is left among you who saw this temple in its former glory? How do you see it now? Does it not seem to you like nothing in comparison? But now, take courage, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Take courage also, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and all the people of the land. Take courage, declares the Lord, and work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. As for the promise which I made you when you came out of Egypt, my spirit is abiding in your midst. Do not fear. For thus says the Lord of hosts, once more in a little while, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of nations and I will fill this house, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. A beautiful promise here, obviously. And what's made, <clears throat> what seems to be the case is there are those that may have seen the temple Solomon's temple before this and its glory. And as they begin to build this, and you imagine they lay the foundations, you know, it's not exactly what it used to be. It's not glorious. It's not a display of, of the wealth of Solomon. And so Haggai, recognizing this, says, look, this isn't the temple. <laughs> this needs to be rebuilt, but there's a new temple coming. This is looking forward to what's ahead. This is looking for Christ, right? And we'll get to that and talk more about that later. But notice when he says, uh, in verse 6, Once more in a little while I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth and the sea also and the dry land. I will shake all the nations and they will come with the wealth of nations. There's also there's a note there. You see that? For that part where it says they will come with the wealth of nations. It says also, or the desire of the nations will come. You know, who's the desire of the nations? Christ. This is believed to be, this is Christ. The desire of the nations. And so this promise here is saying, look, this, this is a temple rebuilding. But this isn't the temple. <laughs> There's a temple coming. The desire of the nations is coming. And so Haggai's alluding to this in the near future. God is pointing the people to a new temple, a temple that cannot be shaken. This temple was shaken and ruined, but there's a temple that will not be shaken. And so moving on to continue walking through the narrative and the content of Haggai, the next section, the next message, starting in verse 10, going through 19, deals with cleansing and blessing. So on the 24th, of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priest for a ruling. If a man carries holy meat 
in the fold of his garment and touch his bread with his fold or cook food, wine, oil, or any other food, will it become holy? And the priest answered, no. Then Haggai said, if one who is unclean with a corpse touches any, <clears throat> touches any of these, will the latter become unclean? And the priest answered, it will become unclean. Then Haggai said, so it is with this people, and so is this nation before me, declares the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and what they offer there is unclean. But now do consider from this day onward, before one stone was placed on another in the temple from the time when one came to a grain heap of 20 measures, there would be only 10, and when one came to a wine vat to draw 50 measures, there would only be 20. I smote you in every work of your hands with blasting wind, mildew, and hail. Yet you did not come back to me, declares the Lord. Do consider from this day onward, from the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day when the temple of the Lord was founded, consider, is the seed still in the barn? Even including the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, it has not borne fruit. Yet from this day on, I will bless you. Okay, so Haggai poses this question to the priests, right, about cleanliness. What makes something unclean? He's doing so. Again, they knew this from the Levitical law. Anything touched by an unclean thing is unclean. So anything this people does is unclean. Now, is this dirt in the wound? Is this a little, here's a little extra lemon juice in case it didn't burn. Well, in a sense, yes. <laughs> you know, the burning of knowing our uncleanliness drives us to God. And so it's helpful. And it's what, how the prophets of God speak to the people of God. It's how God loves us. And so God, Haggai says, this is the people. This is their work, right? This is their work. And he poses this question, which is striking. He says in verse 19, and he tells them to consider, from when the temple was instituted till today, is there a seed left in the barn? Now, he's talking about fruit. He says, is there a seed left in the barn? Any idea what that means? What that question's getting at? Yeah, well, yeah, you realize it. that's a, a part of it. God has to give his blessing for there to be fruit. You know, they, they planted, but it didn't come. Matt, what were you going to say? Well, a seed is to be planted, yet it's in the barn. They haven't done their work. Is the seed still there? Yeah. Yeah, there's, Matt said, the seed's in the barn. Is the seed in the barn, right? They have to do the work of planting it as well. So it, I, it's absolutely an encouragement to plant. I also think it's a, you know, it's a question of saying, look, is it there? And of course they know, yeah, it is. You know, this is also a statement of saying, I'm with you. The seed's there. 
I haven't left. The seed's in the barn. I have been with you. Even though you haven't wanted me, even though you haven't planted the seed, allowed it to grow, I'm with you. Is the seed in the barn? Yes. It's God's mercy. I'm with you in this temple. I'm telling you to build this, and I'm promising you there's a temple coming that will change you. And so the seed is in the barn. And so the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree, it hasn't borne fruit, yet the day will come where I will bless you. The day is coming where it will bear fruit. That seed in the barn will bear fruit. Okay, and finally here, fifth message in Habakkuk. The promise of a Messiah. So reading verse 20, Then the word of the Lord came a second time to Haggai on the 24th day of the month. So the same day. Okay, the same day as the last message. But this one is not to the people. It's to Zerubbabel. Okay, Speak to Zerubbabel, governor of Judah, saying, I am going to shake the heavens and the earth. I will overthrow the thrones of the kingdom of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations. I will overthrow the chariots and their riders, and the horses of their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you, Zerubbabel, son of Shatil, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring. For I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Okay, so a couple things about this last message. God is foretelling of the time where he will destroy the nations. The nations will be destroyed. And his choosing and raising up of Zerubbabel. Now the, int- the thing we have to recognize with this and and sort of what all this means and why Zerubbabel. Well, remember, Zerubbabel, <clears throat> and it's important to note that he was in the line of David, okay? Zerubbabel is a part of the line of David, and from Zerubbabel, the line of David continues. And so this is God, <laughs> he says, make you a signet ring, for I have chosen you. This is God's choosing of Zerubbabel, choosing that the line of Christ, that it will continue, demonstrating his faithfulness, that it will go on. And from Zerubbabel come Joseph and Mary. And so there's two lines. The line is split for a time, and it comes together at Zerubbabel, and the line continues after him, both Mary and Joseph. And so this is the promise of the Messiah coming. This is the promise found, spoken to Zerubbabel, through Zerubbabel, but it speaks to Christ. I will make you a signet ring, right? A seal. (laughs) You're mine, declares the Lord. And so I want to, that's sort of the flow of of Haggai. That's the message. Um, You know, the next section you have on your outline, I believe most of the groups have been following this, is, you know, Christ in the church. How do we see Christ in the church? Well, I hope it's becoming evident to you and is obvious. I want to read from um, Hebrews. We studied this last week. You can turn there. Um, Hebrews 12. <coughs> Excuse me. Hebrews 12. John Owen makes the comment on this passage that this message in Hebrews and this message of Haggai are one and the same. 
This is talking about the same fulfillment in Christ. And so Hebrews 12, starting in verse 26, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will escape who turn away from him who warns from heaven. And his voice shook the earth. Okay, remember, Haggai speaks that God will shake the earth. His voice shook the earth then, but now he has promised, saying, yet, yet once more I will not shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This expression, yet, yet once more, denotes the removing of those things which can be shaken as of created things, so that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Okay, do you see the connection all through that? God will shake the heavens and the earth. Let's show, may we offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. The people of Haggai had reverence and awe for God. But yet, we see a further fulfillment, and Hebrews is looking back, of course, right? Why are the heavens and the earth shaken? So that those things will remain that cannot be shaken, right? Those things which cannot, that remain that cannot be shaken, right? What a beautiful promise. The message of Haggai, the message of Hebrews, they're one and the same. They speak to Christ. One speaks looking forward. One speaks looking back. They speak to a, a temple, to a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I also want to read um, from John, speaking of Jesus and the, and the allusion to the temple. John 2, 19 says, His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign do you show us? as your authority to do these things. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it took 46 years to build this temple. How will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Christ makes clear The temples of, of Solomon, the temples, the tabernacle, the temple of Solomon, the temple of Zerubbabel that's being built here, they point to Christ. Christ is the temple. Christ is the temple that can't be shaken. And what does 1 Corinthians say? We have Christ, right? So what does that mean about us? Christ is the temple and Christ now resides in us by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? We're the temple. <laughs> now, I want to turn here, and I want to give enough time because there's a lot here. I, I hope you're with me. Are you with me? Yes. Just Yeah, that's good. You just say yes at those times. <laughs> Thanks, Josh. I want to talk about application, and I want to hear from you. I hope I've done a halfway decent job taking through the message of Haggai. I hope there's... I hope there's things jumping off the page at you. I've got a number of things I want to bring up, but I'll open it to you. Just say it, and I'll repeat it or say it loudly. 
What do we learn from this message? Yeah, Dad. Okay. Dad says gratitude. You know, God, you see God work. You see God's faithfulness to you. Are you grateful? You know, are you grateful? We read in the passage. Um, oh, where is it? Oh, there. From Hebrews. Since we have received a kingdom that can't be shaken, let us show gratitude. You know? Since you've received a kingdom that can't be shaken, be grateful. You know, are you grateful that Christ has been given to you? That, you know, we, look, we're like the Jews, aren't we? I mean, our nature, we are the Jews. We are the people that say, God, we love you, idols. God, we love you, idols. Okay, that's us. But thanks be to God, he's given us a kingdom. He's given us his spirit. It can't be shaken. Right? We are His. And that should always well up within us gratitude because of what God has done for us. So, absolutely, gratitude. You read this. You even read God's response to the Jews in Haggai and you think, did they deserve God? Did they deserve God keeping His seed in the temple? Did they? No. It's God's mercy, God's mercy. Gratitude. He who has forgiven much... Much loves much. All right, great. Others? Yeah, Jeanette. Yeah, so for those who... Right. So what Jeanette said is throughout the passage, it repeatedly says, consider your ways. You know, the, part of the judgment on the people is that they didn't. And they should have recognized, hey, I'm going to get my wine, and I'm expecting, you know, 50 whatever measures, and there's 20. You have to sit there and say... What's the fruit of my life? That's the, consider your ways. Have you considered your ways? Have you sat down and said, is God blessing me? Or am I hitting a brick wall and then another brick wall and another brick? <laughs> consider your ways. It may be that you need to turn to God. <laughs> right? It may very well be. And so, it's on us to do that. God expects us to know. He expected the people to understand. You should have known you were to give to God and build the temple. Excellent. Others? Yes. Um, like Ecclesiastes, our study, it says you eat, but you have, never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. Mm -hmm. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. Without God, none of this makes any sense. Yeah, so <laughs> they have food, they have wine. You know, we brought this up. There's just not enough. There's never enough. There's never enough. And where does... Where does the message, where does Haggai direct our attention? Where do we go? What's the source of the problem when we don't have enough? Why is it? It's because we're not giving to God. You know, isn't it striking 
Isn't it so striking that you don't have enough because you're not giving enough to God? You, don't, you aren't satisfied because you're not giving. But when we feel need, when we're not satisfied, what do we tend to do? Hoard, you know, stock up. Well, I got to have more then. Right? When we have a fear or, or an anxiety that, uh, about, let's just say money. I mean, I, I think you think the, the two currencies we have that are just, it's basically everything. Time and money, right? Almost everything falls into that camp. Take time or money. You know, what's our tendency when inflation rises, fear of future, wars, rumors? Of, I mean, just, that's not the time where we're like, oh, yeah, let's, let's start a building campaign and let's start giving big-time money. <laughs> or let's, <laughs> let's be more generous, right? Let's give to God. But look, what's this promise? I mean, included in this is a promise, isn't it? Give to God, and he'll stretch what you have further. And so when you have times of need, when I have times of need, the response should be, well, I've got to give more because I need God to stretch what I have. And if I hold on to it, God won't. He'll, it'll be depleted, right? I mean, the perfect inverse to this is you think about the woman with Elisha, you know, the feeding of the 5,000. You think about the ways that God works and Give so much more from what you had. So think about it. Money, time, okay? I, to hit on this really quick, time. You know, again, it's the same thing. When we feel a crunch, there's sports, there's uh, family, the, I mean, the holiday. You just go down the line. Um, busy day. Our tendency is just to, you know, buckle down, close in, right? <laughs> but these are the times God says, no, give. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. And so on your busiest days, I, I remember, I don't remember if it was Martin Luther or I don't know. And these guys had crazy prayer lives, you know. He would say on the, I don't remember who it was, but on the busiest of days, he would intentionally pray for four hours, read and pray. He would pray more. <laughs> and he would speak about the blessing of God through that. And it's the same for us. I want to encourage you. I, I think... Well, I know God has blessed this church with so many of you who serve and give yourselves to the time and the work of the church, and that's a great blessing, and I want to encourage you, keep going in that. Don't ever, don't ever give in to the, you know, it's a very common thing in our culture, burnout culture, right? Uh, I don't know what all they call it. I'm not in the business world, but burnout this, burnout that. And how does God call us to deal with burnout? Give. You're not giving enough. <laughs> you know, trust God that he'll bless you beyond what you could imagine or think as you give to him. Trust God that he'll give it even the more you spend serving the church and being faithful in worship service and faithful at youth group and faithful at Awana and whatever it is. Trust God. Mm -hmm. You know, she wasn't discontent. She was overabundant. You 
let me repeat what you're saying. Lisa's saying it's what you put in, and it's part of the judgment of God. If you pursue these things, you'll get, <laughs> you won't get satisfaction. You know, this is what God's saying. Pursue God and be satisfied. If you pursue things, they'll never, you'll never find the bottom of the jar. It, it, those, there's never going to be a satisfaction to it. Absolutely. Any, any other comments? Yeah, Wendy. Yeah, Wendy, if you didn't hear, you know, the promise, of, well, and I'll just read the First Corinthians. Do you not know you're a temple of God? The Spirit of God dwells in you. The Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that's what you are. Anyone who destroys the temple, God will destroy him. Again, promise. God's with you. <laughs> you're the temple, and so God is for you. He's with you. He's fighting for you. He's interceding for you. And so Wendy was saying, you know, you, this, this analogy of shaking and, and those found in Christ are firm. God shakes us, right? He still shakes us, but it winnows the sin in our lives and takes it out. But what's good remains. And what a beautiful promise. What a promise of assurance and being found in God, right? Even in the midst of sin. What a great blessing. Any others? These have all been great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Vanessa said repentance is not, it's not a verbal, all right? Confession is a part of it, but it's an action, so they worked, right? And you just, you just think simply about the need to work for God. Right, this place ties back into what we've said about giving to God. It's work. It's just work. First Corinthians 15, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Right? Always abounding, 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 abounding in the work of the Lord, right? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added. Don't seek what you want first, okay? And that's not just like, oh, the Xbox and uh, the, the car and the track. It's the essentials, too, okay? It's the home, <laughs> you know? Now, I, I face that. I have a temptation like, okay, I've got stuff to get done at home. And you've got to get those things done. I'm not saying you don't. But trust God. You know, God does stretch. Just get a little personal here. This week, you know, I was looking at this week thinking, this is going to be terrible. 
Busy week. Okay, so it so happened. You got me twice today. I'm sorry. Sunday school, and then I'm preaching. So I looked at that and thought, okay, I've got to do those. Uh, and then we had our leaders retreat Friday, Saturday. We had, uh, what was it? Oh, a concert I took the kids to. You know, I bought the tickets a year ago. You know, so everything just kind of came to this week. It was like, oh, this is going to be miserable. Like, Buckle up, honey. I'm not going to be happy this week. This has been one of the happiest weeks of my life. I don't know if I, that's probably hyperbole, whatever. But really, I, I have been blown away, and it's fitting because of what we're reading. God just allowed things to come, fall into place and happen. And I thought, wow, what a good reminder, you know? This is true for you, <laughs> you know? God really does stretch and bless when we give ourselves to him. He really, he makes cars last. He makes homes <laughs> stay together. He, he allows for things like this to happen. Sometimes things we're not even aware of. And so I really want to encourage you. I want to challenge you. Give to God. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. Abound in it. Never say no to serving God for the opportunity to serve the people of the body, for <laughs> the time spent in the word of God and prayer. We're never too busy where this is not absolutely necessary for our daily lives, right? Don't let your time and your scheduling and all this help you to cause you to miss the reality that we give to God first and God blesses, right? And consider your ways. Maybe you don't have some traction right now. The first thing you ought to do is go to God and say, all right, God, where do I need to start serving you more? How do I jump in? How do I <laughs> rebuild the temple? How do I get my hands dirty with the work that I'm called to do? And so abound in the work of the Lord. Be grateful. Rest in God. You know, the promise in Haggai, one of the other things I had is it's a temple of peace. There's peace with God. There's real peace. A firm foundation that can't be shaken with peace. And so, anyways, we'll end there. We'll end there, but be encouraged by the message of Haggai. Give to God. Seek his kingdom, and God will bless you. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Truth and Life. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And remember, from Genesis to Revelation, every book is truth to live by.